Would you please take a seat? You can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 9. Uh, We're going to be looking at the very end of Matthew 9 through the very first verse of of chapter 11. Matthew 9, 35 through chapter 10 to chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, That's on page 764 and 765 of your church Bibles. It's also on, uh, again, a a rather large insert in your service sheets uh, if you'd like to look there. Um, it's a, it is a larger uh, bit of scripture. We've been going through uh, Matthew's gospel uh, kind of bit by bit. We, we uh, are now at uh, a, a little bit of a turning point, uh, and we're going to pick up the pace just a bit uh, as, we, as we enter into kind of the, the summer term. Uh, we'll take a, a break from, from Matthew for, for summer. We'll have a, a short series uh, through uh, the prayers of the Bible, some different prayers uh, that we see throughout the Bible. Uh, and then in the autumn, we're going to begin Genesis. And then we'll circle back around to, to Matthew, kind of first of next year's is the expectation. So uh, that's a bit where we're going. Um, Matthew 9, verse 35. Uh, be, and this is God's word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what what you are to, to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for your, my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives me, him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Amen, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. One of the most uh, nerve-wracking things for a parent is, is sending their child to secondary school. At least I feel like it is here in London because you, you put them out the door in the morning and you're hoping that they come back later in the evening. Now, of course, before you do that, you prepare them for that, don't you? You spend time in the weeks before the start of school uh, showing them the, the best way to get to school and back. You make sure that they have a mobile phone in case of an emergency. You warn them about the things that, that can go wrong and how to deal with those things. And after all of that, you still take them to school for the first couple of weeks. You can't be too careful with your children, but you also at some point have to send them out into the world and trust them to make their own way. Now, up until now, Jesus has been the one doing the ministry. And we said last week that, that the point of the ministry was not primarily to lay out an example for us of what we should do. Rather, the, the point of Jesus' teaching and healing was to, to reveal the kind of Savior that Jesus is and to cause us to see our desperate need of him and to respond to Jesus in faith and, and repentance of our sins. Now we reach a, a turning point in the ministry where Jesus uh, turns to his closest followers 
and he instructs them and prepares them to be sent out. It's kind of like a parent preparing their child to get themselves to secondary school. Jesus lays out some very clear instructions as well as some very sobering warnings. And these are are fundamentally critical instructions for the church of Christ and for followers of Jesus. Because it's here that, that we learn what it is that our Master and Savior calls us to. The truth is you may not like it. And there are things here that we, we often try to, to explain away, but the simple fact is that the words of our Savior, if he is indeed your Savior, must be taken very, very seriously. What we see and hear is that, that Christianity is, is not a, a faith of belief only. It's also not a faith of, of doing only. But the, the calling of the Christian life is to, to serve Christ. And that has to define every aspect of our lives. And it has to be central to the mission of the church. As a young church, we're, we're called to, to heed the words of Christ that we hear this morning. And to take seriously uh, his calling to be sent out. And to stand for him in a world that is, is openly hostile to him. This is why I wanted to look at a larger chunk this morning because it's, it's easy to sort of take these things out of context. But what, what Jesus says here is a really important thing for us to grasp as a whole, even though we won't cover each and every little verse this morning. But there are three things we hear from Jesus this morning about the mission of the church. Three things. The, first of all, the heart of the mission. Secondly, the expectation of the mission. And third, the value of the mission. So first of all, the heart of the mission. The first thing we should notice is that the the mission begins with the heart of Christ towards lost and broken sinners. And he calls us to share in that same heart. Did you notice that in in verse 35 to 38 of chapter 9? Jesus is going around from place to place. And he's preaching the gospel and and he's he's healing diseases. And he he stops and he, he, he looks out at the crowd. And you can close your eyes and you can almost imagine the, the broken and the weary streaming from every corner of Israel to find this man that they've, they've heard could heal and, and, and who is offering uh, good news. If we, if we heard of a man like that today, we would all do the same ourselves, wouldn't we? We would all come streaming to him. And Jesus looks out on this, this growing crowd coming to find him and he and he has compassion on them in verse 36 doesn't he because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd you see the heart of christ is is beautiful isn't it and it's wonderful for the broken and hurting sinners he doesn't look at people like you and i and go well if you'd made better choices in your life if only you would would stop drinking or or gambling or looking at pornography. If, you only, uh, if only you had disciplined your children better. If you were a better parent, things would be all right. If only you, you would stop being so lazy and get a proper job. If only fill in the blank, then you'd be okay. See, the people that Jesus was ministering to were, were harassed and helpless. They'd heard all of the, the, the if-onlys before. You know, the Pharisees had spent uh, years telling them what to do. And they were well aware of their sin, and they were coming to Jesus for answers and for help. 
And Jesus looks at these people and he has compassion on them because he, he has a deep love for them. And the fact is he, he had so much compassion and love for them that, that he asked his disciples first and foremost to pray for these people. He doesn't tell them that, that they're going to be the answer to that prayer, does he? Uh, that feels a little sneaky, doesn't it? He doesn't tell them they're going to be the answer to the prayer, but he, he gets them praying for the, for the lost and the harassed and the helpless. It's particularly interesting what, what he asks them to pray for in verse 37 and 38. When, when he, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How do we, how do we begin to, to love people the way God and Jesus loves them? Well, Jesus says it, it begins with prayer, doesn't it? Because in prayer, the, we're, we're asking God to, to, to make our hearts like his. The things that he loves, we should love. The things he cares for, we should care for. But notice, notice what, that, that in Jesus calling them to prayer, he doesn't ask them to pray that the Lord would send out seed spreaders or people who can pull the weeds. He implies here that, that actually the main work, the main spiritual work, the stuff that, that you and I can't do and we can't control has already been done. See, what the church needs are people who are willing to go out and bring in the harvest, to bring in the ones that God has already set aside as belonging to him. And the beauty is that he says that there are are far more people that he is is calling to himself than there are workers to bring them in. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That's hard to believe in a a culture like ours where it feels like faith in Christ is is a thing of the past where many of us feel uh, ridiculed and, and looked down on for the things we know to be true. But, but remember who is speaking to his church here and to his disciples. It's, it's the Savior. It's our Master. It's Jesus. Can we, can we take him at his word? Well, if, if you can trust him to cover your sins, if you can trust him to save you, then then you can, can't you believe that, that he can call other sinners who seem like lost causes to him? Can't we believe that if he can, if he can save us then, and has enough love for, for a sinner like me, doesn't he have enough love for, for sinners out there? And the calling of these initial verses is, is for us to see the world as Jesus sees it. He's sober-minded and honest about the challenges. We'll see that shortly. But the the heart of Christ and the work of Christ is to to lovingly call sinners to himself. If you can't see that, then you you need to begin by doing what Jesus calls his disciples to do. And that's that's pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Pray that that the Lord of the harvest will cause you to see the the fruit of his labors ready to be brought in. The, The mission begins with the heart of Jesus and the mission is animated when the the people of God start with prayer. Then Jesus gathers the twelve together and he says, I'm I'm glad you prayed because because your prayers have been answered uh, and you're the ones being sent out. He gives them clear instructions that that, uh, I won't for the sake of time go into, but just notice that that, uh, the, the calling of the disciples was to imitate the ministry of Christ. Did you notice that? 
I know I said last week the point of Jesus' ministry wasn't to be an example of, uh, and that was true of, of the passage we looked at last week. But this week Jesus calls us to do the things he did. He calls the disciples particularly uh, to do those things, to proclaim the good news, to care for the broken and hurting. If we want people to know the Savior, then Jesus says we're called to imitate the Savior. We know him well because of what we've seen in the previous chapters. The disciples knew him well because they, they were with him all that time. Our calling is to bring people to the Savior by imitating him. And this is a serious responsibility, isn't it? It's a serious responsibility that he's entrusted his church through, through his apostles, these 12 men who were there that day who were named. Jesus says that it's, it's so serious that actually blessings and curses accompany it. Blessings for those who receive his ministers and, and curses for those who don't receive his ministers and his word. It's quite serious what he says, isn't it, in those, those verses, 13 through 15. What do, we, what do we take away from this? What should we take away from this as the, the 21st century church? What is it that, that Jesus wants you to do? Well, our desire as a church has always been uh, that people will come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's the, on the banner right here beside me. The calling that Jesus gives his disciples here is very much the calling we as a church carry on today. And I think it's important that we recognize two things about this mission. First, that there's, there's nothing new or novel about it. There's nothing new about it. it, it we, we do very much the same things that the disciples did for, uh, and that they would later do after Jesus was ascended. We do the same things that Jesus was calling them to do. We planted this church last year because we believe that, that the planting and starting of churches is the best way to proclaim the gospel and to call sinners to repentance, to bring in the harvest. There's nothing, nothing new here, and that should comfort you because it means that, that you're not being asked to do anything that Jesus himself has not done. And anything that Jesus hasn't asked of his people for the last 2,000 years. We're, we're not a novel church. Secondly, if you want to be effective and impactful in the mission Jesus calls us to, then we have to adopt the heart of Christ towards sinners. It's easy to be judgmental and it's easy to be hurt by people that, that we seek to, to care for. But the calling of Christ for you and for Grace Church Hammersmith is to, is, is to love with deep compassion the, the harassed and broken that surround us. And when, we, when we look out just these windows here to my left, in the short time we've been together, there have been hundreds of people who have passed by, who, who've been told that, that uh, by this world that, that a, a bit more money will, will make them secure and make them happy. So they slave away at work. And when they get that bit more money they still don't feel secure. And they have to get a little bit more. They've been told that if they just try following a, a certain philosophy or, or religion, then they'll, they'll find peace. And so they've tried that, and they follow that often very, very carefully. And yet they, they still find themselves not at peace. They've been told that if they, they take some time to, to unplug and, and have some me time, then they'll they'll feel less anxious. Yet so many people still, still feel incredibly anxious. 
We're surrounded by sheep without a shepherd. And they're anxious and they're harassed because they, they've been told all these things that, are, that would help them and, and fix them. And yet they still feel broken. And if we're going to see the, the fruit of the harvest, then we have to, to have the heart of Jesus for those people. I'm also aware that we, we often feel poorly equipped for that work. And, and that's why we're, we're going to, to have a, uh, a seminar in the, the summer, a few weeks on, on how we share our faith. Um, I'm hoping in the summer it might be in the autumn. But in the meantime, we begin with, the, with prayer, don't we? We ought to begin as a church praying for the lost, that we would have the heart of Christ towards those who are far from God. Now, the second thing we see this morning is the expectation of the mission. Uh, verse 16 doesn't sound very optimistic, does it? What should we expect from the mission? He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What can we expect of the mission? Well, Jesus says, let's not be naive. That's what he means by be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't be naive. You need to be sober-minded. What do we expect? We can expect it to be incredibly hard. Sometimes it might feel even unbearably hard. You can expect to be dragged before officials and, and wrongly accused. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? You can expect to be turned in by your siblings and even your children could turn against you. Verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. It sounds absolutely horrible, doesn't it? He wants to be part of this mission. You know, I'll pass around a sign-up sheet. The thing about it is, is we see these things happening to the disciples and the early followers of Jesus. And we see these things happening throughout the history of, of the church. And we see these things happening in, in, in our world today. Uh, particularly in other parts of the world, but even, even in, in our, our own country, we see this, don't we? We, we see these things, but most of us living in, in this country and other parts of the Western world haven't experienced them to the extreme that Jesus is talking about here. We haven't experienced them as, as much firsthand. And I think what we need to hear in these words of, of Jesus is that, that this is what we should expect. This is actually the norm that Jesus is laying out for people who, who are being obedient to, to his mission. What Jesus is saying here is that life in the Western world in the last few hundred years has been an exception. But what Jesus presents to us is the rule. And the fact is that we, we have to square ourselves with is that we have to prepare ourselves for, for this, for what we're reading here this morning. We're talking about this on Sunday evenings as well. But we're, we're seeing a culture that's becoming increasingly like that of the, the world that Jesus and his disciples inhabited. Where governments and rulers and others in the, the population are adamantly against the truth of God and the proclamation of his kingdom. They hate the suggestion that God made them and that he, he did that fearfully and wonderfully and, and that he doesn't make mistakes. They hate that. The struggles of their, their lives, is, they, they hate the, the thought that the struggles of their lives is the result of their sin. And they hate that the idea that they need a Savior to pay for their redemption. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the harvest field is, is quite a dangerous place, isn't it? It's full of hardship. It's full of toil and pain. 
And that's where his church is called to go. That's where his church is called to go because that is precisely where Jesus himself was called to go. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. The places where Jesus goes, his disciples are called to go. The way Jesus was treated is how we can expect to be treated. They called him the devil. What are they going to say about those of his household? But there's hope here, isn't there? For the workers sent out into the harvest. And, and uh, what, what, what encouragements does Jesus give us? I want to I point to three very briefly. I hope briefly. Uh, first of all, we're not alone. Did you notice that? We're not alone. The triune God is with us. Look at verses 19 through 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus says, he says you're, you're going to have to answer to, to human courts. You're going to have to answer to human authorities because of the mission. And that's going to be intimidating. He says you're going to be accused of all kinds of things. And when you come before those, those authorities, the triune God stands with you. He says don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Because Jesus and the Father will give you the words through the Holy Spirit. This is one of those things that, that seems abstract because it is abstract to us. We can't begin to, to fully comprehend how this works itself out. We, we see it in some places in Scripture, but it's one of those promises of Jesus to his followers that we're, we're called to take at face value. That God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with those who are on mission, and he's for them, and he will defend them. And the truth is that, that this doesn't mean that you'll, you'll always get off doesn't always mean that things are going to come up roses in the end. We've, we've seen this throughout the history of the church. You, you, can, you can pick up a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, which will tell you all about the times that it didn't work out, at least from an earthly perspective, so well for God's people. But sometimes the words that are given in those moments are, are used to condemn us while before the earthly courts, while shining the light of God's truth and grace to others. There's loads of examples we could look at we don't have time to look at, at many this morning. But there's one I'll, I'll mention, and that's, that's a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of, of a place called Smyrna. It was a, a little corner of, of the Roman emperor, empire back in the, the second century. And Polycarp was an, an old man by, by uh, the standards of, of that time. He was in his, I think, his early 80s when uh, he was accused by, by the Romans of of uh, uh, of heresy, because he he wasn't uh, burning incense to the emperor as a god, and so the the and Polycarp knew that they were they were looking for him and hunting him, and he stayed at home. He was an old man, and he prayed for those who were coming to arrest him. And then they arrived at his door and they drag him out and they they take him to to court, and they accuse him of of. Uh, of heresy and of, of being an idolater. And they tell him, just, just recant. You're an old man. Just recant. Just burn a bit of incense to the emperor and you'll, you'll be free to go. What's the big deal? And, and 
Polycarp said it, it, it was something along these lines. For 70-something years, I have followed him, and he has done me no wrong. So how can I now recant? And so they took him out, and they, they killed him. And they, it was said by, by some who were gathered there that they could see the angels coming down to take him up into heaven. And these were, were people who, who weren't followers of Christ, but the, the words of Polycarp, the fact that he was praying for his persecutors, the fact that, the fact that he, he bore witness to the fact that, that Christ had done him no wrong, but had only ever cared for him, was a light of the grace of God. And that actually leads to the, the second reason we should be encouraged by these words. Because they tell us that no matter your external circumstances, you are in the hands of your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you might feel in that moment of suffering. Look at verses 28 through 30. And, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. There's lots of reasons to fear in sharing the gospel, isn't there? We often fear things that seem kind of silly in the light of Polycarp, right? We fear ridicule. We fear not being take ser taken seriously or, or being looked at as, as religious nutters, you know, the God squad. And in some countries today, yes, our brothers and sisters fear death. And these words of Jesus are, are some of the most loving and gracious that we can hear. He says, look at the little sparrows. Look at the little sparrows. They only, they only cost a penny. Yet their lives are in the hands of God. Their lives are in the hands of the same Heavenly Father who, who knows the number of hairs on your heads, which is, is less impressive when you look at my head, I know, but, but for many of you it's, it's really impressive. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He says God values you far more highly than a little sparrow. He says don't fear the men who think they, they win if they persecute you or even take your life. Fear the one that they don't fear. Have a healthy fear of the God who loves you and values you. Be obedient to him. He's the one who truly and ultimately judges in the end. And he will judge those who do you harm. Now there's, there's a whole sermon here. There's, there's several sermons here. I'm sorry, I'm just glossing over it. But this is, this is one worth coming back to and reflecting on this week. Think about the sparrows. Most of us don't appreciate our, our true value. But what Jesus says here is that, that God does. God knows what you're truly worth. And Jesus says he values you far more than you probably even value yourself. Now the third comfort Jesus offers is that this life is not all that there is. Verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See the temptation of this, this world is to cause us to see the things that, that we can see and touch and, and feel as, as being real and solid and all that there is. That's what the world wants us to believe. That the things you see and feel and touch, those are, those are the only real things. But the mission of Jesus calls us to see beyond our present world 
to the, the kingdom of Christ and to find our citizenship there, to, to desire that and to so value it and to so long for it that everything else in this world is, is mere dust compared to the joys and security that await before the throne of our great God. Now, most of us come from somewhere else. While most of us like, like living here or, or uh, have different reasons for living here in, in London or, or in this country, uh, inside of us there's, there's a place that, that we identify as our home. And we can fight against that. We can try and adopt a new home and, and we can have some success at that. But there's, there's just something that's hardwired in us that makes us feel secure and deeply familiar with a place. And for me, that's, that's South Carolina in the U.S. While, while I would lo- say I, I love living in London and London is my home, you could still take me and drop me about anywhere in the state of South Carolina and I could figure out exactly where I was. And I could probably find somebody that either I knew or, or, or was related to. See, what Jesus is telling us here is that there's a place that our hearts long for. And it isn't an earthly place. There's a place of greater security. A place where, where when we arrive there, it'll feel incredibly familiar to us. It's the home that he's preparing for us in heaven with him, with God the Father. And he says if we give up these these earthly places that we we hold so dear, the things that the world tells us are are all there is, if if we lay those aside, he promises us we will not only lose nothing, but we will gain absolutely everything. And this is the whole point of, of what Matthew has been showing us in chapters 1 through 9. That, that Jesus came to reveal who we truly are and to show us our true home. To show us what we were created and who we were created to be. And to show us that there's a place where disease and hurt and brokenness is banished. And that place is the kingdom where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reign. And if you desire that and you long for that, then all you need to do is draw near to Jesus Christ. He's opened the way to eternal life by paying the debt of our sins at the cross. Now, and that's what we begin to see in our third and final point this morning. We begin to see the value of the mission. See, these last three verses are, are in many ways astonishing and they're, they're a comfort uh, to ordinary Christians like you and I. Jesus says here that, that actually... Those people who just welcome Christians and missionaries and Christian workers are are every bit as valuable to Christ as the workers themselves. The reason for that, I think, is a a simple one. Because at the end of the day, when we we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the, the question won't be, how many people did you convert? It won't be, how big was your church? The only question will be, who are you following? Who are you trusting in? Who are you valuing? Did Jesus receive a welcome from you? Because you see the the answers to those questions. If you're you're valuing and following Jesus, then, then the mission comes quite naturally to us. You see, everything comes back to the Savior who revealed himself to us 
in these earlier chapters and who calls us into his mission. The mission itself is not our salvation. It's the the one who calls us into that mission. It's the one for whom we lay down our lives. The the mission only has value because because of him, because of the person that we proclaim. And if you're looking to him, if you're looking to Jesus, and you're willing to be bold when called upon to be bold, and you're willing to do the seemingly small things when called upon to do the seemingly small things, then Jesus says there's a, there's a reward for you because it's the same as, as having welcomed him in. When we were looking at, at coming to do ministry in this country, uh, my family and I, we, we were coming from the U.S. where everything's bigger and where there's uh, tremendous pressure to have a, a big ministry and you're, you're judged by, uh, by, by the size of your congregation or the, the number of conversions you, you can report. And when we came here, uh, a minister in this country told me that, that much of, the, of ministry in the UK is moving chairs. And what he, what he knew was the, the mentality of the American church. And what he was trying to, to get me to understand is, is, is what Jesus is saying here. That actually the calling of Jesus is to be faithful in all the little things. All those little decisions we make each day. All those little ways that we contribute to his kingdom each day. That Jesus is calling us to be faithful in all those things. And he has called his people on mission to do these little things that make the mission possible. And that's what Jesus says here. If you're, if you're showing hospitality, even giving a cup of, of water to, to a little one is part of gospel ministry. Why? Well, because often the, for the, the harassed and the helpless, that's more than they've ever received from this world. Because for the harassed and helpless, the sheep without a shepherd, mercy and grace often starts with those small things. See, the mission always comes back to the ones sending, not, not the ones being sent. The mission is all about Jesus. It's all about the Savior who we've, we've heard proclaiming the good news of salvation from sins and, and healing every disease and sickness that was brought to him. And the beauty of, of serving him is that he doesn't send us off without his help and his care. He's not like me sending my kids out the, the front door to school and hoping for the best for them. that they'll, they'll turn up again at the end of the day. It's far greater than that. Jesus doesn't allow his people to be sheep without a shepherd. Rather, in the mission, we feel his love and his care more keenly amidst the struggles and sufferings we face because your Savior loved you once and he loves you still and he will love you for all eternity. Let us pray.